Well, it's great to be with you guys this morning. My family and I were on vacation last week in Speculator, and it was a great time to rest and to play. And, but we missed you. We miss all of you. And it's really great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's great to be back together with you guys this morning. So I want to start our time with a story that's going to launch us into 1 Peter again. So out in Seattle, there is this church I like to, to follow called Soma Communities. The pastor at Soma was teaching the church about their identity in Christ and about what it looks like to live from that new identity in the everyday stuff of life. So he invited some of his leaders out to a diner. I love diners. I would have loved to have gone to that. Uh, so he, he's like, let's go to a diner together, guys. And so when they got to the diner, the waitress was rude, snarky, and it was apparently having a really, really bad day. The food was lukewarm. She did not check on them much. She spilled the coffee all over the place, and I think she even bit one of them. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't think she spilled the coffee anywhere. <laughs> so as they finished their meal, they were talking about how to tip the waitress, and there was a few leaders in the group that said, you know, uh, let's just give her the bare minimum because her performance as a waitress was so terrible today. But instead of giving her what she deserved, the pastor challenged the group to give her a tip in measure of how good Jesus had been to them. He just got all quiet and silent and just watched what the leaders were about to do, right? And so they stopped and they thought about it for a little bit, and they realized, oh my gosh, Jesus has been so good to us and so they decided to give this lady a huge, huge tip. I think their total bill was like $60. And they said, why don't we match that with a tip? So they gave her a $60 tip. So when the, the lady came around to collect the bill, she saw the tip and was just speechless, right? Tears started to stream down her face. And she looked at the group and she's like, why? Why are you doing this? Now, they could have missed the opportunity and said, you know what, we're just doing it to be kind. That would have missed it. And they said, you know what, we're tipping you this way because Jesus has lavished his grace on us, and we wanted to love you the same way that he has loved us. Well, guess what? The lady started crying again. <laughs> A lot of crying that day, right? And she told them how much she hated, just absolutely loathed serving on Sundays because in her experience, Christians were such awful tippers. <laughs> uh, but not anymore, right? The group continued to go there. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So the group continued to go there Sunday after Sunday. And as they prayed for their meal, they would ask the lady, is there anything we could pray for you for? Kind of like what Jeff encouraged us to do today at the picnic, right? Is there anything we could pray for you for? And over time, the waitress's heart was softened to the gospel, it was softened to the gospel because she saw it through that group and how they were treating her because that group was allowing their doing to flow out of their being. And that's a powerful object lesson for us to consider now, isn't it? So as we come to 1 Peter this morning, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, that main idea flows right out of that story. Peter's going to answer two super important questions for us. Number one, who are we in Jesus, that's going to really focus on our being. And then number two, how do we live for Jesus? Or how do we live with Jesus? That's our doing. So let's pray, and then we're going to unpack how in Jesus, our being 
leads to our doing. So let's pray and then look at that from 1 Peter. So Father, thank you so much for such a powerful story of what that, that group of leaders did. Thank you, Lord, that we have the same invitation to treat others the way that we have been treated by you. And I pray that you'd help us to see that and to receive your grace deeply. As all these songs sang about this morning, to receive your grace, to see how beautiful and wonderful and powerful you are, and let that change us from the inside out so we can put that on display to the world that's watching us to see what Christ is all about. So I pray today that your spirit would take this passage and take this message and that you would speak through it to all of our hearts. You would challenge us and strengthen us and equip us, Lord, so we can gather here together and we can grow in our faith and then we can go into the world with this gospel. Thank you for what you're going to do this morning. And thank you that we can have a picnic afterward too where we can fellowship and love each other and get to know each other better and deeper. And I just continue to pray that we would be a church that takes that outside these walls as well during the weeks, wherever we're at, so people can see that our doing really does come out of our being in you. So help us as we look at this now. In your name, amen. Amen. All right, friends. So the first question we're going to look at today is, who are we in Jesus? What is our being in him? And we're going to see that in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. This is what Peter says here. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy. So in these verses, Peter tells us not just once or twice, but five times who we are in Jesus. So this must be kind of important for him to emphasize over and over and over again, this is who you are in Christ. So here are the five. In Jesus, we're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy people. A pe- oh, I'm sorry, holy nation, a people for his own possession, and God's people, recipients of his Mercy. So I want to break those down and see what, what is it telling us about who we are in him? What's our being in Christ? So the first one is a chosen race. God has chosen us purely on his love and grace. Jesus reminds us that we didn't choose God, but that he chose us. And what does it do for us knowing that we have been chosen by God himself? We have been chosen by God. I I shared a few weeks ago that I grew up and I was kind of a husky kid, right? Uh, Obviously, I still think about that sometimes. Um, So when it came time to picking teams in gym class, I was usually picked dead last, right? That that hurt, but I understood, right? I I was picked dead last. So they're like, you know, go stand in that that field over there. I'm like, this one? No, no, no. The one beyond that. I'm like, what kind of, what what first grader is really going to hit that far? It's like a thousand feet from the school. No, that's not going to, but that's where I stood way, way, way out in left field. I think it was left field, right? And so farther, farther, far, you know? And uh, that's where I stood. So when God chose me to be saved, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, why? Why would you choose me? I'm nothing special. But he chose us, not because he saw something special in us, but because we were so great. He chose us through his love and through his grace. 
And when he calls us a chosen race, he means that members of a race have a common ancestor and are related to each other through that ancestor, right? So through Jesus, we call God Father, and we are brothers and sisters with each other through Jesus. That's why we gather like this, right? Because we're brothers and sisters in the faith. So not only are we a chosen race, but number two, we're a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Royalty has to do with a king and a kingdom. Jesus is our king. And we, through, his, through faith in his life, death, and resurrection, are part of his kingdom. So in Jesus, we are royalty. That's such a beautiful thought. We are royalty in him. So growing up, Every time my dad's side of the family would gather for a barbecue, my aunt was there, (laughs) and she would come, and she would tell us, guys, you have a royal relative, and we came from royalty. I'm like, I don't know, Aunt Deb, is that true or not? But every time we gathered, she's like, we are royalty. We're royalty. And you know what that did for us? It made us walk taller, use our manners, and act like who we really were, right? Well, many years later, we looked into it, and I don't think there was, was one shred of truth to that statement that she said to us year after year. I don't think we came from royalty, uh, but believing we were royalty did something to us. And how much more powerful to believe that we actually are royalty because of Jesus, because we're royalty in him. That's so much more powerful. So with Jesus as our king, we are to pray for his kingdom to come here, his will to be done on earth And since Jesus is in us, we put him on display with our words and our deeds. We are extending his kingdom. As we do that, we're extending his kingdom and his rule and his reign into the world around us until he gets back here. And that's what it means to be a royal priesthood. As priests, we're saying, there's God. Jesus is what gets us right with God. He's the God-man. And so as priests, we share with people how they can become royalty in Christ as well. So not only are we a chosen race, number one, and a royal priesthood, number two, but number three, we're a holy nation. So in Jesus, we are a holy nation. Holy has this idea of being set apart, of growing into who we are in him. And a nation, as we know, is a group of people in a, in a given locale who obey certain rules and regulations and who strive for the well-being of their society. So in Jesus, we are a holy, set-apart people. That's who we are. Called to live holy, set-apart lives. Who live under Jesus' rule and reign, and who strive to be salt and light in our world. And like we said before, Jesus calls us holy because of his work on our behalf. He has made us and is making us progressively holy. So our work then is to receive that deeply to let that sink deep into our hearts and to continue let him forming us into a set-apart people for him. So not only are we a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, now, number four, we're a people for his own possession. God owns us. And that's such an amazing ownership. He bought us with the blood of his son. We belong to him now, and our lives are not ours anymore. We are to offer Jesus our lives, not just our afterlife, but Jesus, here's my life as well for you to live through. And one commentator I read on this said something super interesting. He said that ordinary things 
acquire new value if they've, pos- if they've been possessed by someone great. Ordinary things acquire new value when they're possessed by someone great. Look at all the museums around us. We find ordinary objects there, clothing and books and furniture, and they're extremely value be- valuable because someone special owned them. What's that say about us then? Now that God owns us. Doesn't that, dis- dis- um, doesn't that bestow upon us incredible dignity and worth and value because we're his? C.S. Lewis wrote about this in Weight of Glory. He said this, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is ours as the life of a gnat. But it is to immortals that we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. There are no ordinary people, which makes a picnic after church really interesting, right? There are no ordinary people. We got a chance to see that today as we meet and eat together, which is awesome. (laughs) So there are no mere mortals, but we are everlasting splendors because we belong to God through Jesus. And my hope is that as we get that, as that really sinks in, we would do what Peter calls us at the end of verse 9. That as, we, as, as these identities sink in, as we're like, oh my gosh, this is who we are in him, that leads us to verse 9, the ending, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you see that? As these things sink in, it's like, oh my gosh, that's who I am in Jesus. And then it just starts leaking out of us everywhere we go as we speak it to other people, as we show people what we're like in Christ. So as people who belong to God, Peter is calling us to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his light. Proclaim, that word proclaim, means that wherever we go, seeking opportunities to tell people about God's character, about his deeds, his glory, his power, his wisdom, grace, mercy, love, and holiness. We get a chance to share that with our lives and our words to other people. We are to do the show and tell thing. Remember that from first grade? You you bring in an object, show and tell. Well, guess what? That's who we are. We are the show and tell people. We show people what Jesus is like, and then we tell them, this is why we're doing it this way. This is who he is. He's called us out of darkness into his light. So not only are we a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession who proclaim his excellencies, but number five, and finally, with the section here, we are God's people. We are God's people, recipients of his mercy. What's it do knowing that we are God's people? We used to be the world's people with the world's values, right? That's, that that's used to be who we were, but not anymore. We're now God's people. By God's grace, we are in him. And grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding from us what we do deserve. In Jesus, we have both. We are God's people through his mercy. So before we move on, a quick note for those of us here who know the Old Testament. 
right? So as we read through the Old Testament, you may be like, wait a second. I think all those words we just talked about there, they were in the Old Testament. All the phrases were applied to Israel. Now all of a sudden, in the New Testament, Peter's using similar language to describe the church. Does that mean the church has replaced Israel and God's plan? And that the church is the new Israel? No, (laughs) it doesn't. This is in our uh, doctrinal statement, our, our, our statement of faith here as a church. But according to Romans 9 through 11 and tons of other passages in the Old and New Testament, God still has a plan for Israel. Right now, according to Scripture, we're in the time of the Gentiles. But there's a time coming when Israel will finally see Jesus as their Messiah and receive him as such. There's a time coming when they, they will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But how are they going to get to that point? It's by us, right? Jews and Gentiles now under this new covenant, embracing who we are in him and showing them what Jesus is like. So when we see all these Old Testament Israel terms used for Christians, the best way, and believe me, guys, there's tons of different views on this, but I believe the best way to see it is that the church today is to God what the, what, and the world what Israel was meant to be and one day will be. So Peter's using similar language to call us into this to show us that we are a new people, but God is still working with the nation of Israel, and he's not done yet because he's the covenant-keeping God, right? Imagine if he wasn't. Imagine if we woke up and he's like, you know, I'm tired of all these covenants and all these promises and all these people and, and being so faithful, and you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to do away with the covenants and just wash my hands of it. That's not God. He's faithful, He doesn't give up on his covenants, and he doesn't give up on us. So not only does Peter answer who we are in Jesus, which is our being in him, he also shows us now, how do we live for Jesus? We got this being thing really down pat. We're learning it. We're understanding it, growing in it. But what does that lead us to? And that's where we'll end for today. So take a look now. Question two, how do we live for Jesus? What's our doing now as a result? And this is from 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter can't even make it into the next verse without reminding us yet again who we are in Jesus. I mean, just look at the beginning of verse 11. He calls us beloved, sojourners, and exiles. So we are his beloved ones, the ones in whom he loves. Not only that, but our true home is heaven. So we're just sojourners and exiles on this earth. So now with all of that firmly in mind, Peter urges us, begs us, pleads with us to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against our souls. According to Romans 6, when we trust Jesus, our old self was crucified with him and we actually died with him. When he was buried, we were buried with him. And when he was raised from the dead, we were raised with him as well, alive to God and free from sin. And as a result of that, every day, moment by moment, really, we are to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So when we wake up in the morning, we are to remind ourselves, I am dead to sin 
and I am alive to God in Christ. I'm actually dead to sin, and I'm alive to God in Christ. So as people who are dead to sin, we are alive to God in Christ. We're not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies to make us obey its passions. This is right out of Romans 6. Sin was pushed out of center. It was pushed out of the center of us. It used to be smack dab in the center. Sin was pushed out of center. It's still in our members because we still have unglorified bodies. It's still in us, but it's not the deepest, truest thing about us anymore. It used to make us obey its passions, and it still has passions. It's still in us. It still has passions. It still calls to us. But we are not to present the members of our bodies to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Instead, as new people in Christ, we are to remember and remember and remember and remember that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. We are to present ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. We are to present our members to him as instruments of righteousness. Now look behind me. There's tons of instruments back here. They look pretty nice, but they're not really doing anything because no one's blowing into them or, or, or tickling the keys or banging on the drums, right? They're just instruments, but there's life in them when people breathe their life into them, right? And play them. That's what Jesus calls us. We're now instruments of righteousness so he can play his tune through us, so he can flow, have his life flow through us. Or as Peter puts it, we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against our souls. According to John MacArthur, the command to abstain signifies that saints, that's us, right, if we put our faith in Christ, we have the ability by the new life and the indwelling spirit in us to restrain the lustful flesh. So through Jesus, we have the power to say no to our flesh by saying yes to the spirit. We say no to the flesh by saying yes to the spirit. As we say yes to the Spirit, we are thereby saying no to the flesh. But sometimes, if you're anything like me, our flesh is screaming really loudly, right? The flesh with all those passions wages war against our souls. Waging war is a term that implies not just antagonism, but a relentless, malicious aggression. You ever feel that? Right? We live in these these bodies that aren't yet glorified. So there's a battle and there's this tension going on inside all of us. The war is said to be fought on our souls. A war fought in our mind, our will, and our emotions. I think we all feel that war raging at times. So it's absolutely relentless and it's dead set against the new life of Christ in us. You see, the scriptures tell us our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil, the three-pronged enemies, right? They're going to throw everything at us so we don't live in the freedom that Jesus purchased for us. And their goal is to keep us preoccupied with the world, the flesh, and the devil so we never get on to life, the life we have in Christ. That's why it's so important of how we just started this message, by looking at who we are in him. Because those things don't ever change. They don't change. They don't fluctuate or vacillate. Those things are true of us right now on our best days and in our worst days. These truths don't change. They are our constant. They are our lifeline. They are the thing we cling to with all our strength. 
As Jeff said, we are a church that loves the Bible, that stands on the Bible, that clings to this with all our might because God has given this to us so we know who we are in him. So therefore, we can stand on that as we're being tempted and assaulted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. One of my favorite authors, John Eldridge, reminds us that we live in a love story set in the middle of a war. That gives uh, understanding to the story that we find ourselves in. And he says that the closer we are to the target, the more flack we're going to take, right? If we're nowhere near the target, we may take a bullet or two, but if we are literally over the target, bing, 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 like that thing's going to be taking tons and tons of flack, right? So as new people in Jesus, Peter's not just suggesting, like, oh yeah, here's a nice suggestion for Sunday afternoon before a picnic, right? He's urging us to not listen to the siren calls of our flesh. And this is an everyday kind of thing, right? We are to reckon ourselves dead to sin and reckon ourselves, which means counting on what God has done for us, that we're alive in him. And and therefore, we are to abstain from the passions of our flesh by presenting ourselves to God as instruments, right, of righteousness. My old youth pastor used to say it this way. We have two wolves inside us, the flesh and our new self in Jesus. And which wolf wins? The one you feed right? I'm like, wow, like Yoda there, right? My old youth pastor, he knows a lot of good stuff, right? An old Scottish preacher, Thomas Chalmers, said it this way, seldom do any of our habits or flaws disappear by a process of extinction through reasoning or the mere force of mental determination. Reason and willpower are not enough, but what cannot be destroyed may be dispossessed, The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Dude, (laughs) that's like, wow, that guy was smart. The expulsive power of a greater affection. The expulsive power of a greater affection. Letting our new and growing affections for Jesus to push out the old. And that's why we do what we do here on Sunday and during the week. That's why we gather and sing and pray and read God's word. The goal in all of that is that Jesus would become our heart's delight, that our attachment for him would grow as we see how he sees us and what he's done for us, that our attachment, our love for him would grow. And then therefore, as that attachment and that love for him grows stronger, obedience and and putting the flesh to death and reckoning it dead, really, through Christ, grows. And we learn how to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Guys, the enemy loves to reverse this. It's one of his favorite tactics. Focus on not gratifying the desires of the flesh, and you will be walking in the Spirit. How's that working, right? It's actually the other way around. As we walk in the Spirit, as we cooperate and listen to the Spirit, we we say, all right, Spirit, what do you want to do in this situation with these people or whatever we're finding ourselves in? As we just tune in to what he's saying, he then enables us to say no to the flesh. But we can't do this without the Spirit. So don't let the enemy flip this around, right? Gosh, that's exhausting. Have the enemy flip it and say, well, you know what? I'm not going to live by the desires of the flesh. I'm going to try really, 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 really hard not to do that. And then the outcome of that, hopefully one day, is I'll be walking in the Spirit. You see how subtle that is to twist it? But look at the verse. I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, our being, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You're doing. Enemy loves it. Twist it around. Your doing leads to your being. Not in Jesus. Jesus pushed it back right. Being leads to doing in Christ. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. One way I've been trying, I've been trying to agree with the Spirit in this, certainly not perfectly, but progressively, is by declaring who I am in Jesus, by reminding my own heart of this, right? So I've been using John Eldridge's app. It's, it's called Wild at Heart. It used to be called Ransomed Heart. Now it's Wild at Heart. It's free. You go on your Google Play Store, whatever, you know, wherever you can find it. And in that app are all these crafted prayers. And they are so helpful because he has a daily prayer, an extended daily prayer for the days you need more horsepower, right? A bedtime prayer, the life prayer, a prayer for breaking curses, a prayer for inner healing, a prayer for sexual healing, a prayer from freedom, from habitual sins, a prayer to break soul ties, a prayer of consecration, St. Patrick's breastplate, and a bunch of other really amazing resources to help us in this spiritual war. And these prayers are declarations. So every day as you scroll through them, you're you're declaring to your own heart and to others, hopefully, right? This is who I am in Christ. This is now my being leads to my doing. And it's so powerful. So as we're in this fight, we are to fight with God's armor on. We are to make sure our heads are covered with his salvation. That truth is our belt. That Jesus' righteousness covers all our major organs. That our feet are ready with the gospel. That our faith, that our faith in Christ is our shield and that God's word and praying in and according to his spirit are our weapons. We are to remember in this war that we're in who the real enemy is. It's not people, right? That's another one of Satan's favorite tactics to get us to think, oh, our enemy is another person. But the real enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil, the principalities that we fight against, the devil's hosts, all of that. And we're not to fight alone. He loves to do that. Just get us isolated from others. That's why we do these things, right? That's why we're here. We're not to fight alone, but with others, brothers and sisters in arms, people who can, who can share our heart, that we can share our heart with and our struggles with, and who can remind us who we are in him. That's the kind of church that he's calling us to be. We get this. We, we, we sink to this so much that we know who we are in him so we can remind each other. Yeah, right now, you forgot again. That's okay. We love you, but you forgot who you are. Let me remind you. Or, oh, Jesus, I forgot. Remind me, who am I in Jesus? And as Peter, he, he tells us, as we walk in the Spirit in these things, look at the desired outcome in verse 12. The desired outcome, Peter calls us to fight this way so our conduct among the Gentiles or those who don't yet believe in Christ will be honorable. Honorable means beautiful, in outward form, lovely, fine, winsome, gracious, and noble. This is the kind of witness that Jesus wants to produce through our lives. He wants our lives to look like this. So if, actually not if, when we're maligned for being Christ followers, which that happens, our character and our deeds will speak louder than their insults. Truly, this sort of life, 
these good deeds that flow out of who we are in him leads our enemies, right, to glorify God on the day he comes to redeem us. It's incredible. So this, friends, is how Peter is calling us to live our lives for Christ, or really the better, um, whatever that word, preposition, right, with Christ. Fighting against the flesh by feeding the Spirit, and with the Spirit's help, keeping our lives honorable so that those who don't yet know Jesus will see our good works and actually give glory to God. So what a powerful, powerful passage for us to wrestle with this morning. So, as we wrap it up, how is God speaking to us today through this passage? Great question. For those here who may not know Jesus yet, my prayer is that today would be the day of salvation for you. Jesus has done everything required to bring you into his family. And all you have to do is humble yourself and receive this incredible gift. The moment you do, all we talked about today will become true of you. So please, please, please don't wait. Don't just rush out of here Really take time to do business with the Lord and say, okay, have I really trusted the Lord? There's no other salvation except through Jesus Christ. And for those of us here who have trusted Jesus, again, not because we're so smart or good or we figured it out, it's because we've received a gift, really, right? I recommend that we look at this passage over and over and over again, that we would allow God to speak those truths to our hearts. They wouldn't just stay up here, but they would sink down 18 inches into here. That God would speak that. You are a chosen race. You're, you're chosen in me. You're beloved and royalty in me. That we would allow God to speak that into our hearts. And notice too, all these things we said are plurals. In Jesus, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. As such, he's called us collectively to proclaim how awesome Jesus is. So as a church, as a body, who is he calling us to proclaim Jesus to these days? And what would it look like for us to embrace this? Or perhaps the application for us is to not sit on the sidelines, right? To get in the fight, to not just let the flesh run rampant, but to remember that as his beloved exiles, we can, with his help, say no to the flesh by saying yes to the Spirit. We can present ourselves like these instruments again, for Jesus to play his beautiful kingdom tune through and to. So if you're in a battle, which guess what we all are, right? And need prayer or encouragement. Again, our picnic today is a great time. Or after service or in the picnic, just find someone and, and share. Talk with them. Let's be a church where we can bring what's really going on to each other. If you need further help, there's great resources in our community, Christian Counseling Associates, and there's, there's tons of people in our community that want to help in these kind of things. So if you need further help, right, please don't just shy away and say, you know what, I'll just I'll deal with this on my own. Again, how's that working? Not very good, right? So find the help that we need. And it's okay to say we need help. We need help in this. We're all in this battle, in this fight, and Jesus is helping us to, to connect with others so we don't have to fight alone. So however God is speaking to us this morning, my prayer is that we would embrace who we are in him so that we can live for Jesus, but really, truly, with Jesus in this life, so that our being will lead to our doing. Sound good? Let's pray.
So, Father, I want to thank you for yet another opportunity to look at 1 Peter. And man, this book has so much good stuff in it. It's so many amazing truths about who we are in you and how we are to live this new life. So, Father, I pray that you would speak the application of this to our hearts. If you're calling us to trust you, I pray that we would. If you're calling us to trust these new identities, I pray that we would. If you're calling us to put them into action somehow, Jesus, I pray that we would be Jesus-led in that. We would keep our eyes on you, that we would see where you're going and and join you, because you delight to use us in these things. However you're speaking to us, Lord, thank you so much for this amazing passage, for this worship time, for our picnic today. Thank you that we can be a church that gathers together, that grows together, and that goes into the world. Help us keep growing in that. And thank you so much for our time together today. We ask this in your name. Amen.